welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. As Kelly said, I'm your host, Troy McClung. Glad to have another episode back out here. Uh, February kind of went by fast and realized that I was uh, about a week behind. So we may double up. In fact, um, I'll go ahead and tease this now. Our interview for next week's podcast is going to be Walt Jeffries of Sugar Mountain Farm. So I've been... uh, anxiously awaiting to get Walt on the podcast and and finally have done that. So his uh, discussion interview will be next week. That way we can have two in February. So look forward to that. Today uh, we have, we're taking the podcast in a different direction and we'll be talking with Arco Labs about vaccination importance for pastured pigs. But before we get into that, just a couple quick announcements. Obviously, as I always discuss, we have our Patreon account out there. If you all want to consider supporting the podcast, uh, see good uh, continued content as we try to put it together, uh, building the website, some of the features associated with the website, directories, featured farms, all those type of things. Please consider supporting us on Patreon. It'd be simple as $5 a month, and that goes directly back into these efforts here on the podcast and the peripheral media that goes along with it. Also, speaking of our website, we have the website, thepasturepig.com, and would love to update that more with your information, additional input, uh, blog copy, content, that type of thing. So reach out to me if you would like to be a co-contributor, and we're looking at adding some additional perspectives and additional content from that. Well, one quick announcement is to save the date. Uh, this is something that's excited to, dis- to announce and discuss. But on May 22nd of this year, so May 22nd, 2022, I will be um, a guest presenter at the Pasture Pig Workshop that is being hosted by Chuck Lewis at Sheridan Park Farms on his farm in North Carolina. So Chuck and his wife have done this uh, last year. This year they're uh, growing a little bit, so they're going to present. They've asked me to come down and present as well. So if you or you know someone who would be interested in, in looking at the basics of pastured piggery and turning that into a business, then we'll be there for that one-day session discussing things in a classroom setting, but then also out on pasture at his new farm. So save a date. We'll have more details coming. Uh, Obviously, there's going to be a a finite amount of tickets available uh, so we can keep an intimate setting there and not overwhelm uh, Chuck's farm. (laughs) That would not be good. So uh, we'll make more announcements of that as we move forward, and we'll have details on the Pasture Pig website, and then Chuck will have information on his website as well. Okay, so let's come back to Arco Labs. So this is something... Um, I have to say I was a little bit reluctant at first to do this discussion, but as I got into it, I really appreciated their perspective. I mean, everybody has a different perspective on uh, animal welfare and and what they see as necessary for their uh, herd or their uh, online farm production, on-farm production. So 
today in this interview, we're talking with Hans Koink and Paul Scartweet. Uh, some good Scandinavian fellas. <laughs> I absolutely had a had a hard time making sure I was pronouncing their names right. So get into conversation with them. There's a lot of resources that you can find at Arco Labs. I also put some links in the show description here and some of the things we refer to. And you guys can check all that out. I'd love to get some feedback from this. Uh, if you guys maybe go to the Pastured Pig website, use the contact form, maybe give us some feedback as to this interview, what you guys think. And then I can even share that in upcoming episodes, uh, people that um, you know, had a certain response or reaction to this. All right, without further ado, we'll get into our discussion. All right, so I appreciate you all taking the time to to come on the podcast and and as we talked about, this kind of a new direction for us. But really, want to first let's start with with Arco Laboratories. And if you would give us the um, give us the genesis of Arco Laboratories, and and maybe uh, for those that that aren't, aren't familiar with it, kind of thread the needle as to why Arco Laboratories is on the Pastured Pig podcast. If you could kind of tie those two together with a little bit of history of the lab. Sure. Well, thanks for having us on, Troy. We appreciate it, and. Uh, um, we're excited to have a chance to talk to all your listeners out there. Um, our collab, this is Dr. Hans Coink, uh, and uh, I'm one of the, the owners of the company and, uh, uh, and, and just want to give you a little bit of a history of our, of our company. We've, we've been in the vaccine business, uh, the veterinary vaccine business for just about 35 years now. Um, we started in the eighties as a, a veterinary clinic and just kind of a, uh, your typical veterinary clinic, at least a, a large animal clinic servicing, you know, the, our clients in the area, uh, in central Iowa is where we're located. And, and, uh, during that process, uh, as, as with any veterinary clinic, a lot of times you're you're called to to deal with problems uh kind of a, a fire engine sort of a mentality where something comes up and you try to go out and put out the fire and uh along the way and through doing that and, and as they say necessity is the mother of invention uh the the veterinarians there at the time uh really were starting to get into the vaccine business and using prevention uh, as a more effective way to try to deal with some of these diseases that a lot of the producers in our in in the in the immediate area were facing, and so uh, that was really the genesis of Arco Laboratories, born out of a veterinary clinic. Um, and at the time, the the regulatory framework for vaccines. And veterinary medicine were much more loose. I guess you'd say it was it was easier uh, to do. There were there weren't really nearly as many regulations and re- and as much of a regulatory framework as there is today. Uh, and so it allowed for a bit of a ease of entry into the business itself. A lot of flexibility from being able to move from a veterinary clinic into a licensed laboratory where where we were actually manufacturing vaccines for mostly our customers. Um, but then in the mid eighties, right around that time, 
uh, the the federal government, the USDA, took over the licensing of all uh, uh, vaccine companies in the United States, and it was kind of perfect timing for for ARCO because that was right around the time we were evolving into becoming a larger company anyway and so it really it really worked out well for us gave us the opportunity to um, become fully licensed by the USDA and and what that did was it opened up the entire nation to uh, to to us allowing to to provide our vaccine to anybody in the United States Mm -hmm. and also some other countries except uh, the, the regulatory framework of the U.S. as well, namely Canada, um, who's very closely related and, and uh, very easy to trade with, but also some other countries. And so our first product that we brought out was actually a vaccine for turkeys. It was a hemorrhagic enteritis vaccine, which is kind of similar to, um, I don't know, one is, it's, it's just very immunosuppressive, kind of kind of like HIV in people, although this certainly does not infect people. It's, it's just uh, specific to turkeys. And so we had come out with a vaccine for that, and uh, that, was, that was the beginning of the beginning, I guess I would say, in terms of selling vaccines all over the United States. And, and that was a very successful product. It's a product that went through the water line. So it's easy to deliver and uh, the turkeys would just drink it over a six hour period. There were no injections, no shots, anything like that. So uh, very easy to deliver on the farm. And after that, uh, really things just went from there. We, we came out with more new products for turkeys. And then in the, in the nineties, we, we started seeing the same need for, vaccines and swine and um and we're developing new products um there there's a fair number of uh, consistencies between the turkey market and the swine market there's actually about 200 million turkeys raised every year in the u.s and about 200 million pigs and so the market's about the same size people tend to like to give vaccines through the water for swine as well just because it's easier to do um no injections and uh and so that's and then it's just gone from there uh, and we've but we've we've always focused uh, as compared to some of the larger companies the publicly traded companies and I think we're one of the only privately owned companies out there that makes vaccines for for animals but one of the few uh, that's been around for any period of time anyway um, we we really focused on agriculture because that was our those were our roots and uh, so even today, we really only make vaccines for pigs and poultry. Uh, we've, we've expanded into chickens, but um, there's, we're really, really focused. Um, we're private. We're small. We're very nimble. And uh, we're proud of that heritage. And, you know, there were, when we, when we started, there were lots and lots of customers that were raising pigs on range you know, in, in uh, the huts. And, and I remember working in, in those areas as well. And, and so we're kind of coming back to our roots here too, a little bit on this, the, 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 this, this uh, podcast. Um, but uh, 
we see, you know, we obviously see that as something that's coming full circle again, you know, with, yeah. uh, with some of the customer demands that are out there and the, the restaurants and, um, people want a, a variety of things in their food. And so, um, that's how, I think that's how we got here today was, uh, you know, interest in, in that, that group or that demographic of folks that are out there raising pigs that way. And, uh, and so, um, yeah, I, I think maybe that gets us from A to B at least. Yeah, uh, right. So, yeah, yeah. No, that no, that yeah. was great. I appreciate that. There, there, so there's one thing, and again, that if if, if anybody listens to the podcast, they know I'm notorious for uh, rabbit trails here. But so you, you said something that I find interesting. <laughs> um, I would assume, and, and you kind of answered the question in, in my mind. I'm assuming okay, Arco Laboratories uh, working specifically in ag. This has to be some sort of subsidiary of something larger because you, why would you have a laboratory and just be focusing on on specific ag and specific uh, you know, uh, species within that ag when when I'm sure a lot of that stuff the lab could translate over to to so many other markets there'd be a ton of vertical market opportunity there but you can't answer that question you, you guys are staying specifically in ag as as a business model by design. Yes, um, it's our niche, really. I mean, I think it's. You know, you can, I, I think you, you have a choice in business that so we all do. Um, you, you know, you can, you can really try to become big and try to, but that involves trying to be, sometimes that involves trying to be all things to all people. And especially in the veterinary side where, you know, there's several different species and, and of course to the large publicly traded companies, uh, or the even the large privately held, which are very corporate in their nature, so they they operate very similar to publicly traded companies. Um, you know, their focus has become small animal and companion animal because that they're always they're following the money basically. Uh, they're they're that's that's how they operate, and and their investors and their shareholders demand that. Um, for us as a private company. You know, we're we're our ownership is very concentrated. We're not, uh, in terms of how, what we focus on. I guess we don't we don't have those sorts of diversions to to pull us away from that. And we feel like it's a, a way to stay with our roots. We love agriculture. We love the people in agriculture. Um, it's just a it's a great industry to work in. And I think there's something to be said for that in terms of just being able to be a part of that. And we, we really want to, one of our focuses is to, to make things better for our industry, you know, to, to make things easier, to make things more customer friendly, to make thing, to make our entire industry more attractive to the, the, the end consumer, you know, the people that are out there. Uh, that are supporting our industry are that are the people that are eating the pork sandwich or you know whatever it might be and so um, so yeah we, we I think we're lucky that we're able to do that but at the same time it, it is by design as well yeah yeah excellent good deal so one thing you said there, and I, and, I, and I appreciate how you tied it back to saying, kind of getting back to your roots, because uh, when you, yeah, back in the '80s, you're dealing with local farmers that were were raising pigs on range or on pasture or are out in the open. 
So I, I would assume over over the decades that's kind of evolved. You're in Iowa. We know there's a very large production uh, facilities there. What we'd call confinement operations, and and. It's funny across the spectrum of how people raise pigs, you, you have the pendulum swing both sides. That some people can be very dogmatic about a certain way they raise their animals, and, and other people are on the opposite side. So, in your experience, have you what is the application or the fit for the vaccines that Arca Laboratories creates specifically for swine when it comes to to confinement operations that are you know, obviously much larger, uh, tighter square footage, that type of stuff, more controlled environment versus uh, something on pasture. And I'll let you, it's kind of a two-part question, but I'll let you start there and then we'll jump in with part B there. Okay. Yeah. The, the, the interesting thing about uh, outdoor and, and pasture type uh, husbandry is that, yeah, you're correct. That it's more of an open air environment. There's, um, you know, there's there's probably less nose to nose interaction. Uh, definitely less chance for that. Um, and so, a lot of times in those cases, the respiratory diseases uh, might not be as as big of an issue. Uh, there are, on the flip side of that, the the pasture raised animal is more exposed to the environment, and so. There's more, there's the geese that, you know, feed brings in all kinds of things. Sure. Uh, so um, there's all kinds of <laughs> scavengers out there looking for a free meal, so to speak. And and uh, so so they come into contact with more uh, animals that, that are that of, of different species that can carry diseases. Uh, one example, and, and Paul's going to... Uh, give you more detail on some of the products but one example is erysipelas. Erysipelas is a an organism that can live in the soil for up to six months it's very good at it and so um, some of these things really really thrive some of these disease organisms really thrive uh, in a non-confinement sort of a scenario and some don't and so there's the good and the bad of both of both uh, um, schemes, I think, in terms of of raising pigs, and they come with their own unique uh, uh, disease sorts of exposure. So, so yeah, but uh, I think our products are very well positioned to help the the uh, producer who's raising pigs on pasture. Yeah. Um, all of our all of our, most of our products go through the water line, or all of them do. Uh, and that's one of the things that actually that's more universal, but the the great thing about products that are given orally, not only are they easy to administer, especially to large groups, but even in small groups, what, what, what is something that uh, pe- people don't realize, I think is that the immune system, which is basically our, the way that we fight off disease in our bodies, you know, this, when we get COVID vaccines or whatever, that sets off the immune system. It's a protective mechanism that every that humans have, pigs, uh, all animals have. And but 70% of that immune system, a full 70% of that is located in the gut. Um, your gut is just made up to be a barrier to disease to keep you from from being exposed. The rest of the system, think of it as a shield uh, from letting disease get into the rest of the system. 
And so when we apply these vaccines to the gut, we actually get a we actually get what I think is a much more robust response to the vaccines and much more protection. And so that's one of the reasons that we've stuck with that uh, that sort of a uh, strategy in terms of vaccines because we think it's more effective. Um, there's more resources there to tap in that pig's gut. And, and so, and it also makes it easier to vaccinate if we're going through a water system or whatever it might be. So, so yeah, I think that's, and I got, I'm getting off on a bit of a tangent there. I'm sorry, but uh, yeah, I think there's, you know, there's, there's something, there's something to be said for raising on pastures. There's something to be said for raising in confinement. The diseases might be similar in some cases might be this might be different in others, but, um, but yeah, I think it's great to have choice. You know, the consumer wants choice. Right. And I think right. as an industry, we're we're giving it to them, you know, and and that's what we need to do. So, yeah, appreciate that question. Yeah, no, and and, and I appreciate the answer. And I know, um, my goodness, yeah, there, there's so many tentacles from that. I know Paul's going to talk about the specific products here in a second, and, and maybe we we table this, but, but and, and talk about more of the the waterline uh, distribution, how you're dosing through water, the controls of that versus injectable. But you, you made a point there that. That to me is kind of one of those aha moments, and and for the other guys listening in the pre-screening, I, I told both uh, Paul and Hans to talk to me kind of like I'm a high schooler because I, I really don't fully understand the disease in pigs. You fortunately been able to dodge it on our farm for for quite a while. So um, you said something there that to me almost seems counterintuitive. It kind of rubs against what I had been taught in uh, college biology or whatever. So this idea that oral vaccination over injected vaccination. Um, there's a benefit there. And I really loved how you defined that or how you described that. So um, I, I think a lot of us that listen would think it's always been my approach when something simple as warming my pigs is like, well, I'm definitely going to go with the injectable. It's always going to be more, uh, it's more potent or it's more effective. And obviously it's more of a pain in the butt to do, especially with pigs out on pasture as you got to corral them and, and, and go through and and inject and so i i appreciate that and and if there's any more details you could add to that or or even you know, a couple other comments about that I, I would appreciate that i think that would be good for all of us to hear sure sure yeah i the way i describe it is i mean if you if you take a gut you know and this might be a little bit morbid but as a veterinarian my the discussions I have around my dinner table are very different than probably <laughs> right. some other people's. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but it doesn't seem to keep me from gaining weight, but I, but, right. uh, but I still, uh, <laughs> but, uh, the, the gut itself, if you string it out, you know, I, I don't know how long it's, it's, it, you've just got miles. It's endless amounts of tissue there. That's all, kind of bunched up in your abdominal cavity and and so the way i described this it's just a football field of immune cells i mean there's there's tons of these called gut associated lymphatic tissue and they that's a kind of a million dollar phrase but galt is what we call it g-a-l-t and that's where all those immune cells are and so when we when we stick a vaccine in there they just go crazy and they start producing antibodies and, you know, things that protect us against disease. Mm. And the, the great thing about the gut is there's just tons of it there. There's tons of it. And it does translate over 
and protect other parts. It's not just protecting the gut. You can stimulate other parts of the immune system that way too. And so, um, I, 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 that's, I, I don't know if that answers your question yeah. or not, but it's, that is the, the basics of it is that it's when you inject something into an area, you're competing for a, just a very small little area, you know, of, of immune cells under the skin. Mm. And there are really the vaccines kind of fighting for that. And so when you get into the gut, there's, there's so many immune cells there that you'll never overwhelm it. You know, you'll never get short changed on, on how much um, response you get. And so we really like that from the standpoint and moving forward, you know, I think on the confinement side, we're going to get bigger and bigger and there's going to be less in with labor. Now it's very difficult. You know, everybody knows how tight labor is right now. Right. It's hard to get people to go through and inject a whole bunch of pigs. Um, when, when you could alternatively just run it through the water line for six hours and be done with it. So, um, so yeah, I, I think there's, there's, but there's, so there's two advantages. One is the labor, but the other is really just how well, how well it works and the, the theory behind it. Yeah, so, so it sounds like the efficacy when it comes to oral is 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 still just a solid, if not more solid. So it kind of dispels maybe what was a a um, um, an incorrect thought in my mind that well, the efficacy of an oral administration of anything is always going to be less than injected. Um, so that's good. It's good stuff. Yeah. So uh, part uh, swing okay. the, swing the swing the gate back around here to catch part two of my question, and 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 we were talking a little bit about um, you know confinement versus. Uh, versus pasture so the part two of that question was what do you see from your guys perspective what do you see is maybe the most dominant or the most concerning disease um for pasture operation and is it the same for a confinement operation is is it these are the this is the leader or these are the leaders or we got to watch out for everything what are you seeing in comparison to those two well from my perspective, the things that, you know, there are a few things that keep me up at night. One is, you know, the, the biosecurity of a pasture sort of an operation, you know, I mean, it's, there's certainly, um, um, not to say it's inferior in any way, shape or form. It, they're just, it just creates different challenges. Like back in the day when pseudorabies was a problem, you could see it just moving up and down the riverbeds, you know, because it was, it was, uh, it was those animals that were moving up and down the riverbeds that were carrying it. And that's how, that's a lot of times that's how it would spread. Now, pseudorabies obviously today has been largely eradicated. Although I did see an article just recently, I think today where they had uh, detected it somewhere in the United States and feral pigs, you know, mm-hmm. but so we don't have near the feral pig problem that some countries do like China and, and uh, even some countries in Eastern Europe. But we do have to watch out for that sort of thing, you know, just as a, especially, as a, you know, everybody's heard of African swine fever, not only in the pig industry, but I think uh, I was just coming into the country uh, a few days ago and there was a, when we come through customs, there was a big poster there about it. So the USDA has done a really nice job of keeping people aware of African swine fever and how big of a, a problem it would be if it came into the United States for our entire it just shuts off trading. You know, we can't trade anymore um, until we get it under control. So, so uh, the other things on pasture, erysipelas is one. I think that we, 
that we see more, uh, the salmonella. I think E. coli is kind of universal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's everywhere. Um, Iliitis, I think, I think there's still, you know, some of that on the pasture end. But, um, yeah, I think, but the respiratory side of it, which is, is really uh, uh, a killer, you know, I think in, in some of the large uh, confinement operations, I guess we don't see that as quite a big of a problem in, in pasture type animals. But um, yeah, the things that are spread by wildlife, like uh, some of these organisms that are carried by a lot of different species, those are the things that I think you can run into. And, and th- those are the products actually that, that actually occur in uh, confinement as well, oddly enough. But um, it just shows that even in confinement, you can't be perfectly biosecure. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the, those are the things that worry me a little bit about pasture is just, you know, making sure that we're not getting our animals exposed to things that are spread by, by other species just because they can, they can come into contact. Yeah. They might be more likely to come into contact. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, but and, uh, I know there's a... Yeah, I know there's a lot of great producers out there on pasture, and I know there's a lot of people that are very conscious about biosecurity and that sort of thing, and it can be done, no doubt. Um, it's just, uh, it's just, I think you gotta tighten up your boots a little bit more when you're raising them uh, uh, outside, basically. Yeah, yeah, and and, and I agree that, that that's something that uh, you, you kind of, from my perspective, kind of have to pick your battles. So. So having a hundred acres right. of, of Appalachian mountains that I uh, have very little control over the wildlife that comes on it, but uh, I, I do make yeah. sure that if, yeah. if anybody has a, another pig operation, uh, then a if they're going to come on my property, then they they're not allowed in my pasture. Uh, you know, they change shoes, all that kind of yep. stuff. Um, and then of course, you know, just just looking at. Uh, we're a closed loop system, so we we are fair to finish on our farm. So I'm not introducing uh, you know, new new pigs in on a regular basis. So you're trying to keep those loops closed, but still have to bring in uh, feed, and then of course you know, can't manage the wildlife uh, on on that hundred acres. So sure, yeah, I, it sounds like yeah, obviously pros Absolutely. and cons on both setups as far as biosecurity goes. But that's that's a great message for your listeners. Is you know it's it's important. And it's, it's not, you know, there are things you can do. Um, and there are some things that are out of your control, but the things you can do are, are certainly effective. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's great to have, you know, honestly, it's great to have a podcast like this that reaches the demographic that you're talking to, because, um, our, our, our food system is part of our national security and it's, uh, we just have a robust and great food system and we're all part of it. We're all in it together, you know, no matter what we, no matter what we do. And so it's super that there's a, I'm just, I'm excited that there's a podcast like this that reaches that those folks out there. Cause it's important to get that message out. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Well, let's do this if we could, cause I, I want to give Paul an opportunity. He's uh, I know he's just sitting on the edge of his seat yeah. waiting, waiting to tell us about products. So I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like to segue, yeah. segue into that with, 
was something that, as we talked in pre-screening before we started recording, we talked about our audience here at the Pastor Pig Podcast uh, ranges from uh, the homesteader who's maybe raising just a couple hogs for themselves for personal consumption, all the way up to some some substantially large commercial uh, operators on pasture and some some pretty big breeders. Uh, I know we've got an audience throughout that, that country that that breeds a lot of of the heritage swine, of course, and and then some more production uh, type uh, type breeds. So. I, I can I think of myself uh, yeah I think back about ten years ago when I first got pigs on property I didn't know what the heck I was doing, and so when I first hear that word disease I, you know, you kind of you kind of get the cold sweats it's like what have I got to look for what am I what am I doing um, you know, what do I have to be prepared for mm-hmm. and you know, trying to put together that med kit that first you know your sutures and blue coat and those type of things are the basic stuff when you mm-hmm. start getting to the uh, vaccinations mm-hmm. and immunizations it's like oh my goodness what are you so what would you guys from your perspective what would you give advice knowing that our demo what our demographic is what is the advice to say okay here's a list of 80 things you got to look for or here's the top top five or top one you know where do you start when it comes to uh, managing disease or controlling disease on a small farm operation Paul, I'll let you take a stab at that one, and then uh, let me know if I can I can be of any assistance. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. I I think it doesn't matter what species. Uh, you know, we're talking about swine here, but the, the biggest thing is is to look how you know how the pig is acting. You know, uh, are they eating? Are they drinking? You know, do do they look? Um, you know kind of have that twinkle in their eye or that bright eye, uh, you know, and some breeds are there, are there, you know, I have some sheep and cattle at home along with some pigs and, um, you know, and the sheep and cattle, you know, are their ears drooping, you know, are their, you know, lethargic, not looking good, you know, those are just types of animal husbandry that go across different species that, uh, you know, people need to look at and, and just be aware of how they're, the, the animals are, are acting as you, you know, move through your pastures, you move through your pens uh, to see to see how they're feeling. Uh, and, and that really gives you a good indication, you know, do they get up and come greet you? Do they, do, you know, are they running around playing with each other? Or are they just, you know, have been laying around for, for the last couple of days not uh, acting like they're feeling the best? So, so those types of things are things that you can um, – you know, at least start uh, to look at. Uh, you know, you know, we're we're in the the lines of prevention. Uh, you know, we we do not have any antibiotics. Uh, we do not manufacture any of those. Um, but you know, we we do have those at our at our disposal. So you know, we we don't want our animals to, um, you know, to be in pain or to be suffering of any kind. So you know, we have those antibiotics. Uh, available through the veterinary clinics uh, to be able to um, to to help them get better. Just like if I got sick, you know, I go to the doctor and, and uh, you know uh, get something to to make me better. So um, you know, at least in my mind, those are things that are initially the first things off the uh, uh, you know off the truck that the, you know you were looking looking at every day just to see how the how the animals are doing and. And uh, you know, uh, then start asking questions if, if those animals aren't uh, aren't looking uh, the way they had the last couple of days or months or weeks before. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, and to, to kind of build on that that point, Troy, I mean, there's there's an awful lot of different things. There's a wide variety of diseases. And the other thing I've noticed is, you know, there's so many different programs anymore in terms of antibiotics usage. I mean, there's some programs where you just, you don't use antibiotics or you're not allowed to. I don't know if you're, I don't know how much that affects the pasture raised, but it would seem to me that that would be, you know, like a Nyman Ranch type of type of an operation, things like that. Right. Yeah. Um, very sensitive to that, right? I mean, I, I, I don't know. That's the impression I get. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good to work. I, I don't know. You know, I don't know what anymore in rural America, we're getting less and less access to veterinary care, right? I mean, a lot of, a lot of that is moving uh, away or the veterinarians traveling further to get from, to be, you know, to see the herd uh, that you might be there with they have there are going to be i think some significant advances in telemedicine in terms of veterinary medicine um but but i guess what i'm getting at is it's good to work with a veterinarian if you can i think because um a lot of the antibiotics anymore even if you are able to use them um just the way that things have evolved with the fda and the current environment we're in now uh, most of those things are on prescription anymore. You know, we can't just walk into a store and buy uh, a lot of these things anymore. Um, uh, and so it's good to, to work with a veterinarian. Um, the other things like out on just in general, I think outside, you got to watch mosquitoes are, you know, they're notorious for spreading disease. And so draining of, you know, what, stagnant water, wetlands, things like that can be helpful in any operation, cattle, swine, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, and just um, making sure that the, you know, there aren't any, uh, sometimes the things, you know, you see crazy things, but sometimes there's lead batteries laying around out in the pasture, <laughs> things like that, the toxicity, toxicity type things you aren't going to run into in a confinement, you know, right. but, but you might run into it and, you know, you see a pig with one pupil dilated and the other one constricted, you know, something weird's going on, right. you know? And so those are all things that are, um, sometimes those are almost forensic type in investigations. You're trying to figure out what's going on by looking at the pig, but you know, you've got, I don't know, you said you had several hundred acres out there. I mean, that's trying to, sometimes that's trying to find a needle in a haystack, but right. if you look at the pig, sometimes they'll tell you, you know, what's going on. So, yeah, the, the pasture situation presents a whole new kind of variety of things that can happen, kind of almost like a James Harriet sort of a scenario, all creatures great and small, you know. Right. Uh, but but it's it's also, I, I like I say, I, I've got a place in my heart for uh, pasture raising just because I think I'm nostalgic about it. It takes me back to the days when, when a lot of, you know, a lot of it was done that way. And so, um, and I think that some people prefer that as well in terms of, you know, the source of their food. Yeah, uh, but, yeah. but yeah, if I could, if I could pinpoint something, I, yeah, I know I'm dancing around the question a little bit, but there, there's just such a wide variety of things that you could, you could run into um, that, you know, it might be good for some of your listeners to, 
you know, they might say, oh, no, there's a veterinarian for 100 miles or 200 miles, but with this, with the telemedicine sort of thing that is probably going to come along, you might not have to do that anymore. You know, you might be able to write a prescription without having to do that. So it might be good to keep that on, on your radar and uh, um, as those things develop, and that might be really helpful for your listeners. Yeah, I've been, I've, to be honest with you, I've been trying for, well, actually about, 15 months to get a, a large animal vet who has pastured pig yeah. experience to come on and I, I, I've yet to find one. Yeah, of course, it's, it's kind of like you know, needle in a haystack yeah. situation too because it's not like you can just Google a uh, large animal vet who has pastured pig experience and, and, and a whole bunch of options pop right. up. But yeah, but yeah, that that would be great. That that right. I, and my goodness, there's all kinds of things I'd like to unpack that you you guys uh, laid out there. But the the idea of telemedicine with veterinary and medicine for large animals is just that that excites me. I, I'm I'm in that one of those deserts when it comes to a, a large animal vets in general, but especially those that have any pig experience. I mean, easily 200, 300 miles from me. Yeah. So it becomes an issue there, yeah. but um, but yeah, that would be exciting to see telemedicine come in. But you'd mentioned something. I think Paul had mentioned, and, and I think that's one advantage maybe that uh, pastured pig operations have is that observation of our swine, uh, the daily contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, smaller herds usually, so they they have the opportunity to uh, to interact with each pig, um, get a pretty good handle of your pasture, knowing what's what, what's where. Um, even you know certain type of plants uh, that they're interacting with, so I, I find that that interesting. And, and you mentioned contamination; that that was something. I, my farm, when I purchased it, was just absolutely gutted. So we've we hauled garbage out forever, and it seems like the uh, the pigs have a knack for finding things. So they'll they'll unearth something that, that didn't realize. And I was like, oh, that's yeah, gonna, that's going to be great for sure. <laughs> they're curious. They are curious. Yeah. But so, so I guess the I guess and, and maybe I I'll just twist this question a little bit and, and maybe this comes back to you, Paul. But um, as as a pastured pork producer, I think when it was when it was certain times of they're, they're you know, having conversation, be on these forums talking about things. People say, okay, you're going to farrow. You know, you got to make sure you you get farrow sure gold, and you got to give farrow sure gold every quarter, or whatever the case may be. You got to do this. These are the these are the hard line things you got to do if you're going to do X Y Z with your pigs on pasture. So so just just obviously looking at the list of your guys' products, listing you know, all the diseases that are out there that are potentials. I think maybe that's that's kind of the the concern that some of us smaller operations have is like, where do you even begin? You know, do I literally just say, okay, I need every single thing that's on the list and we just start poking or obviously not poking, but uh, you know, letting the pigs be vaccinated with all of these things. Is there a logical order? Or is it just go with what issues you've dealt with in the past? Well, and I think you said it best earlier that, you know, you, you have a, a confined uh, closed system group of pigs that you know your your diseases are going to be a lot different uh than you know say a ten thousand sow unit um in in the middle of missouri um so there there's you know that i think is where the the veterinarian comes into play um even if you don't have uh, a large veterinarian uh with experience of pasture farrowing um in your area i think yeah i think that's something that you know i'm gonna i'm gonna try to find uh that person to get on your podcast but um if we can get a veterinarian to visit with you 
because each individual producer is going to be different. Um, you know, so so sow products uh, comparative are going to be uh, needs are going to be different. You know, we have uh, pig shots or more or less pig pig vaccines that uh, are going through the water that. You know, I'd like to to go over a, a few of those with us sure. that uh, are are very broad spectrum uh, products. Like Han said, there there are diseases uh, that the pasture farrow uh, producer is going to have issues with. That's the same as the large production uh, producer is going to have the same with. So so they are they're the products that that we find are universal, um, and that's why we we manufacture them. Is because we want to make sure that we can we can help you know the small you know two or three style producer along with the the large producers as well. Right. Yeah. You know one of the 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 products that we have uh, is called nitroleitis. Uh, it is our our Lithonia, uh, disease product. Uh, this is a product that, uh, like Han says, all of our swine products go through the oral administration. So whether they go through the water lines or whether uh, you drench the pigs, uh, the, these are products that uh, that you can uh, do that way. Hmm. Um, our nitroleitis, uh, the one big thing is it's a four-month duration of immunity. So once that pig gets that vaccine into its body and that pig replicates that uh, product uh, to build up immunity, uh, it has at least four months of immunity uh, built into it. Um, we, when we were doing our um, our studies and trials to get this product licensed, uh, we stopped at four months. Uh, I'm, I'm sure if we would have kept going and had those pigs go later than that, uh, there still would have been immunity there. Um, but just the sheer fact of uh, pig growth cycle, um, you know, four months should get it to. Um, you know, to the, the processing center uh, or, you know, being able to butcher it at that time. So, you know, Lithonia is an issue of the gut. Uh, it, is a, it is a disease that uh, will reduce the uh, ability for absorption of nutrition uh, from, uh, from the feed that's coming into the, the pig. And, you know, this can be a, a disease that has clinical signs or it can be a disease that might not show clinical signs, but you're actually not getting that pig um, to its optimum growth potential. So, so that is a that is a product that uh, that we just launched about a year, year and a half ago. Uh, that is, has been very good, uh, very well received uh, in the industry. Um, you know, we're building um, more and more sales with that as we go through this year, uh, last year, and, and moving into this year. Um, that is the disease that uh, the pasture um, production people will will face. Mm. Um, and like Han says, the 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 scours uh, is another uh, disease that that is again doesn't matter who you are, uh, you can get them. Um, we have E. coli that uh, can be catastrophic uh, to either the pasture farrower or the production. Uh, inside, we have two products that uh, to fight uh, the E. coli uh, problem. We have a product called EdemaVac, and that is a, a product that helps uh, fight the F18 uh, E. coli 
uh, out there. Uh, that is a disease that uh, hits the pigs young, um, you know, usually late farrowing, uh, early nursery. Um, you know, when those pigs get stressed, uh, it, it helps the, the immune system. Uh, once we get the vaccine in, it helps the immune system fight that, that stress and the, and the F-18 from coming in and, and creating uh, havoc on the, on the guts. And, you know, a lot of these pigs will die of dehydration uh, just because they're not drinking, they're not feeling well. Um, but if we can get the vaccine into them uh, before they're challenged with F-18, uh, E. coli, that's, uh, that's been a great product for us. Um, and a lot of uh, producers are using that. Um, the other E. coli product that we have right now is uh, a product that, to help fight the K88 uh, E. coli. Um, that is something that uh, we call our Enerovac um, product. Uh, this is a product that is a, a freeze-dried product, along with the Demovac is also a freeze-dried product. Um, that is something that uh, people can store in the refrigerators. Um, and, and once they rehydrate that product, uh, they have to use it all up. Uh, but again, they can put it into the water line or drench the pigs uh, as needed um, to to help uh, prevent them from from the, uh, the K88 disease uh, getting in there and, and creating a lot of uh, morbidity or mortality uh, in those pigs. Yeah. Um, so that that's a product that that's been useful. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Um, yeah. Um, Two other ones that I that I'd like to go over, and then then uh, if you have any questions or, or if Hans, if I've missed anything, please feel free to jump in. Um, you know, Hans was talking about erysipelas. You know, that's a product that uh, that it can be in the soil. Um, is something that the pasture farrow people, you know, should be aware of. Um, this is a product also is a freeze dried product. Um, you know. Erysipelas is a is an issue that that can um, cause um, damage in the in the gut. Uh, it is something that will will have a lot of uh, morbidity and mortality as well. Um, this is a product that uh, we vaccinate the pigs uh, around eight weeks of age or older, um, and this will also help uh, in the prevention of, of E. coli. Or excuse me, erysipelas. Sorry about that. Um, our our last product we have is a, a a salmonella product. You know, and salmonella is something that that we've seen, um, you know, be a food grade uh, safety issue. Um, so salmonella is a product that uh, is is something that we like to uh, be able to handle, especially in the pasture side, in the production side. Uh, we got a product called Nitrosal. Um, that is a product that either is freeze-dried or we also have it in a, in a frozen form. Uh, but the freeze-dried can be stored in the refrigerator. Um, and that is a product that helps in, in the reduction of, of mortality uh, because of, of salmonella. Um, that is something that, again, has been a good product for us. Um, it comes in the reason... You know, we we have uh, we have a need to have food safety 
uh, and and salmonella is something that if we can keep that out of the out of the pork and and have uh, a reduced um, food safety scare, those are things that uh, that we want to help with in the in the pork uh, industry. And, and again, it's a water line or a, or a drench uh, type administration. Um, this product can be injected, the freeze dried product. Uh, but this is the only one of our, our products that is, uh, is an injectable. Um, so, you know, the this line of products has been very good for us. Uh, it is something like Khan says, it's a niche market. It's something that we're uh, very proud of. Uh, our nitroleitis and our nitrosal uh, is used in, uh, and stored in freeze-dried, uh, or excuse me, uh, ultra-low frozen um, product, so it is actually uh, a live product that is able to be uh, thawed and then and then put into the pigs and and replicate in in their bodies. So, you know, that's just a little bit about our product. Um, you know, we're 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 here to help, and we want to help your producers. And uh, you know, that's that's what we have right now. Okay. So, so my question pops in my head, and this may be a dumb question, um, but as far as end users like us being able to access this product, is this these products is that exclusive through a veterinarian, or is this something we can buy direct from uh, from Arco Laboratories or some distributors? Uh, we do go through distribution. Um, veterinarians are, are probably the easiest way uh, to purchase this product uh, for your your producers. Uh, you know, the, the distribution channels uh, like uh, MWI, AHI, uh, those types of companies have our product mm -hmm. uh, for retail as well. Okay. Okay. So in that situation, like if, if I was looking to get some nitro salads, okay, I've got, uh, I, I want to vaccinate to 50 head, then I could just obviously reach out to one of those distributors, say, I, you know, I need this product. Uh, this, this size and, and the, that one you said that one's freeze dried so it can stay in a conventional freezer so in that situation I pick up the product just keep it in the freezer until I'm ready to use it correct okay excellent all right well if I could then just let's just push this a little bit further as far as the process goes because I think this is where um, it, it's unique I, I know in, in my mind and I, I'm probably thinking the same as, as some people listening so uh, you know, the way we provide water to our, our swine on pasture it varies greatly. So you know, some of us have closed systems, some of us have impoundments. So it's like just you just walk up to the impoundment pig and you get, you get your water. So, so looking at those type of things, it sounds like there's a drench application option. So if, if, if somebody had free choice water all over the farm, then they could look at drench. Or of course, we could uh, then look at doing a you know confining the pigs for a little while, utilizing a closed water system, those type of things. So it sounds like you know, regardless of your watering process on pasture, uh, these products could still be applicable. Yeah, and and one other thing, and Hans, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. One thing that I was thinking of too, uh, especially on smaller groups or groups that have um, you know big water tanks that have continuous source of water all the time and it'd be hard if impossible to to vaccinate through that type of scenario um could possibly be like uh almost like a um, um 
a gruel or a, or some kind of a, a wet feed where we where you mix it into uh, a smaller batch of really wet feed would that be a possibility to use as well Hans? yeah that's been done and there's actually some really cool products coming out now that are um made by uh another company not us but they they you can mix vaccines in with them and then they they're kind of these little chunks of uh they taste like <laughs> i guess they taste really good the pigs love it they're uh they're kind of a uh they're kind of a uh it's called piggy gel is the one that just came out and uh you mix it in it solidifies kind of like little jello uh little jello crumbles and the pigs really go after it so we're looking into using vaccines that way as well the oral vaccine so we're more feeding it to the pigs than we are than they are drinking it that paul's right the main thing is just get it to the gut you know get it there one way or another doesn't it doesn't really matter how we how we do it uh, we just, if it gets in the gut, it's going to do its job. And so, yeah, there's been a lot of innovation and, um, just because there has been a lot of interest in, uh, especially on baby pigs, you know, even in confinements where they're still on the sow, um, you know, how do we get that vaccine to that pig, uh, without having to pick it up or squirt it in the mouth or whatever it might be. So there's a lot of cool new, um, applications that are that are going to come out and, and are already out as well. There's another gel-based application where you can apply it to the underline while the little pigs are still in the sow, right. and then they just it's they they go out. They love the taste of it. Sig Company makes that stuff, but uh, you know they you put it on there. The pigs get up to nurse, and they, when they taste that, and they go after that, they turn all green. So you feel good that they got it, and because uh, it's got a green dye in it. Uh, and so does the, these jello chunks, I guess I'd call them this piggy gel. But, um, yeah, there's, I don't know if you have a website or anything that you put up, but mm-hmm. we certainly can get you that information if, if people have, uh, have interest in that. Yeah, that'd be great. In fact, uh, the Pastured Pig podcast uh, website will be going live uh, end of this week as we're recording. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, we could definitely share that information. Uh, so so yeah, wow, you talked about niche okay. talk about a niche market. So there's a compounding pharmacy basically for, for pigs. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. There yeah. you go. There That's you great. go. Coming but, up with products. And I've had I've had a producer, you know, do as, as little as, you know, take your loaf of bread out there and, and squirt squirt a, a dose of, of vaccine onto a slice of bread and, and feed each individual pig. Yeah. These were sows in, in gestation, but you know, it'd be the same concept. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it would. That would fine. I, I think, I think, you know, uh, all of us producers, you know, smaller producers, that uh, you know, their 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 medical budget maybe isn't uh, something that's written down. It may just be <laughs> what you can do type of thing. I, I think <laughs> looking at those tools, yeah, yeah. Just, what tools are in the toolbox is is what's really important. I know sometimes when I had I had to sedate my sow to to inspect her hoof, she had a cracked hoof, and she was you know she's seven hundred pound sow, mm-hmm. so. A loaf of bread and a six pack of Natty Light took care of that, so I could get her down and look at her. Yeah. So you you, you kind of do what you got to do in a situation, but but yeah, yeah I'd, I'd love to right. I'd love right. to have resource of, of of those type of tools that we could possibly utilize. Now you you said one thing um, sure. that I, I Paul I think we need to um, to kind of go back to and focus on, and that was um, 
looking at water. So if, if, if our listeners are thinking, okay, yeah, I, I want to use this. I've got a large water tank that the, the pigs use on a regular basis. I top it off from time to time. Um, we want to look at their specifics when it comes to algae growth, chlorinated water. There's, there's kind of things there that could affect the efficacy of your vaccines in those type of water systems. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. And, and those, those are things, uh, you know, especially the chlorinated water or the uh, high mineral content water. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a product called Stabilizer um, Plus Buffer that is uh, a product that, that we use um, prior to, to getting the vaccine into, uh, you know, say, say they're in a conventional uh, type setting where, where a person can use uh, a doser, um, you know, pulling, pulling the vaccine and water out of a bucket and dosing it into uh, a water line. Um, what we'll typically do is we'll put that uh, stabilizer plus buffer in that bucket uh, of water um, prior to putting our vaccine in. And what that will do is help uh, bind up the chlorine, uh, bind up the, the heavy metals uh, so it doesn't um, do anything to to hurt or or change the the vaccine in any way um so it also has a a a product in there more or less a food uh for that living organism to to live off of until it gets into that uh pig's gut to help um you know help keep it to be a full dose versus uh having it uh die off uh you know too early um, uh, before it gets into the uh, into the pig's gut, yeah. uh, the other thing, the plus buffer uh, that is on the vaccine, or excuse me, the stabilizer, um, that is a product that um, it doesn't matter if if your um, water pH level is really high or really low. Uh, what it'll do is it'll bring that pH back to uh, an area a range of where the uh, vaccine likes to live. Um, so that is something, you know, it, it, it is used all over the United States. Uh, water pH is totally different from, from your neck of the woods to our neck of the woods. Right. You know, we're really high in iron here. Um, and we have a lot of people using the, the chlorination, uh, you know, in the water system. You know, we want that, uh, if you're using a chlorinator, to, to be turned off, um, you know, the time of administration. Uh, but the, the stabilizer is something that's needed as well just to, to help with the safety and the longevity of that vaccine as it goes through the, uh, the water system. Yeah. All right. Well, very good. Very good. Um, I, uh, I, I, that I've kind of exhausted my list of questions there. Do you, do you guys have any, um, any closing comments, anything that you'd like to, to point out that we didn't cover before we wrap up? Well, I think I just, just as kind of a, um, just a final comment. I, mm-hmm. uh, again, thanks for having us on. We really appreciate it, and uh, and uh, and really interested in um, you know any feedback you'd you'd have from your listeners. And also, we we'd love to um, you know provide any information we can on the website. Uh, one on the new website. What one of the things that I think just to, just to kind of round back to the gut again. You know, you asked about that earlier. Mm-hmm. There's been a tremendous amount of research now in, in humans and in animals about the what's called the microbiome, which is the just the gamish of the gut. There's just a ton of stuff swimming around in our guts and 
pig's guts there's there's lots of bacteria it's a it's a biome it's a it's a community of organisms basically and what they're finding is that the makeup of that biome is very critical to health um you know we hear a lot about probiotics things like that but um and that's part of that as well but that's paul had alluded to the fact that sometimes these pigs don't have outward disease but they can have very very severe what we call subclinical disease so mm-hmm. what we see in e coli is we can give a pig a low dose of e coli a, a, a disease causing e coli not the vaccine and their growth rates are significantly decreased but they don't really show any signs and i mean it's kind of like when when you or i you know we can feel like crap but we don't we don't necessarily show any outward signs of it other than maybe we feel a little sluggish but pigs have that same sort of a thing and a lot of that goes back to how what's going on in the gut and so a lot of these vaccines that that are given in the gut especially our line of vaccines um, because that's that's all we make for the most part they're really you know they're targeted at at preventing outward signs of disease, mostly death loss and things like that. But that pig, there's a lot going on in that gut. And these products are part of that solution to making that gut feel better. And if your gut feels good, the body isn't because of, we're not tying up resources to fight things off or to, or if we don't have inflammation, things like that, that cause problems there's less stress on that pig and they're less likely to get sick probably from a lot of other things. And so really the, the underlying, this is one of the reasons a lot of people give these products on a regular basis, regardless, um, just because there is so much research now that shows how, how critical gut health is to both humans and animals. And so I, I just leave you with that, um, that thought because, I think that's an important thing, regardless of whether we're raising pigs indoors, um, you know, on pasture and outer space, wherever it might be. But um, it, I think it, that that's going to I think that really is a benefit to these things. And they're really not that that expensive compared to what you you get back out of them. So prevention, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I think that's that's really uh, uh that's that's really relevant to to pig health. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a a key point you made there. That I think that's something we that raise pigs on pasture need to think about when when we get those hanging weights, or we look at that feed conversion. We think, okay, that was kind of poor. So I, I think mm-hmm. I can't speak for all of us, but I my first knee jerk would be, okay, there's you know the breed line. You know maybe this sow's time to retire. She's not producing a good litter or. or you know, there's something with a boar. There, there's something genetic there that that maybe needs to be called or needs to be you know, new genetics need to be introduced. But it could really just be like you said, gut health. That there's not good absorption simply because the gut biome's all messed up, and and you know that's that's not as easy to to test or to look for. I, I know when I started um, two years ago, started soaking and fermenting all of my feed, uh, that I got better feed conversion through you know, through absorption, but. Yes. Also knowing that uh, you know, there there is some uh, um, microbiology, yeah, some some micro uh, organisms going on there in that in that uh, 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 
oh my goodness, in that uh, in that feed process, what we're doing with the fermenting, that it's it's creating yeah, some things right. there, and and uh, so yeah, I, I think that's something we all need to to think about and consider when it comes to looking at it. It's like if we're just not getting those numbers we expected, and maybe it just changed overnight or it changed in, in from one litter to the next. That's something to consider. Yeah, yeah, a lot of these things are really pervasive. They're they're everywhere. Um, you know, erysipelas. What the research has found is 50% of pigs carry erysipelas, mm-hmm. and we don't always see the outward signs of it. But when conditions become right, then it becomes, you know, a, a kind of a train wreck. Whereas we, we're having pigs die when they're two, you know, three weeks away from market, and then we got to treat them all with penicillin. We got to move back marketing date. It's just uh, it, it can be a problem, but it does go to show you that these things are there, uh, and sometimes they're there and you don't see them. Yeah. Um, but they are somewhat of an opportunist. So, yeah, I appreciate um, your experience with that, too. Excellent. All right. Well, as we wrap up here, if, if people want to know more, if our listeners want to know more about ARCO Laboratories, where can they find uh, information about you guys? Yeah, they can they can go to arcolabs.com. Okay. Uh, would be it would be a great place to start and uh, look at the products and and uh, be able to uh, to email us and and uh, our phone numbers on there as well. Okay. Do you all have any social media presence or anything like that right now? Not at this time. No. Okay. Okay. Okay, yeah, so I'll, uh, I'll put that link down in our uh, show notes there so you guys can check that out if you're interested. And in, in looking at the website, there is product description and even uh, PDFs that you can download that detail the, the products and uh, administering details, those type of things as well. Well, gentlemen, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know we've, we've gone a little long here. I usually try to stay under an hour. We're a cat's whisker over that. But I appreciate you guys coming on the podcast and sharing your information with us. It was, it was a, a very different conversation, but I'm really glad we had it. I think we're, we're kind of plowing new ground here on the podcast. Thank you Great. Thank us. you very much, Troy. All right. Well, I'm going to let you all go. I pray you have a good evening, and we'll talk to you all soon. Well, all right. I really appreciate them coming on the podcast and, and bringing a new perspective, a new topic that we really hadn't gotten into. And man, would I love to do a deeper dives into this type of stuff. So if you all know of uh, an organization, uh, a, a leader in this field of, of whatever it may be associated with pastured pigs, reach out to me and let me know. And I will try to contact them to see if they can come on the podcast. Yeah, I'd love to get uh, equipment suppliers, feed producers, um, anything to do with the the medical, the vet side of of pastured pigs, I think would be very interesting and hopefully add some additional perspective there. So let me know if you've got some ideas there. Again, just go to the uh, pasturedpig.com website and you can uh, use a contact form to drop some of that information in. All right. Well, I appreciate everybody listening. Anxious to uh, get some more of these interviews out. I've had a decent run of interviews we've done in the last 30 days, but if you'd like to be on the podcast and uh, all you got to do is just reach out, use the contact form on the website, do a little bit of pre-screening info, and I'll reach out to you and we'll get something scheduled. Uh, Really, again, love talking with you all and getting additional perspectives and and listening how um, you all have your farm set up. Don't forget uh, Patreon. If you want to help support this effort and keep us moving, then check out the Patreon. There'll be a link in the show description there, and you can support us and help us keep this going. All right, take care, everybody. 
We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com. 